the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. When you hear the word predestination, it often conjures up fear for some and a comfort for others. Depending upon your background, that word can really be very, very assuring, very comforting. It could also be very frightening to some. Predestination. Some people are nervous with this word predestination because right smack in the middle of the word is the word destiny. And that sounds so fatalistic, so threatening to our freedom that there's a destiny. Could we break out of this destiny or are we predestined to the point that anything that happens is destined and we have no freedom in the matter. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in the middle of a series of programs in which we examine some of the key words in the Bible. Words like redemption, justification, salvation, propitiation, and several more. These are the words that lay out for us the foundations of the Christian faith. So we need to understand them in all their depth and breadth of meaning. Today we look at one of the most misunderstood words of Scripture, predestination. Many of us believe that we know what the word means, or have at least a vague idea about it. But the Bible gives us a very specific meaning of predestination, which is somewhat at odds with what a majority of Christians think the word means. We'll be taking our texts principally from the 8th chapter of Romans and the 1st chapter of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible nearby, keep it handy as Pastor Steve tells us what the word predestination really means. Here's Pastor Steve. We want to look at another word, but a very special word, a word that, uh, that tends to frighten people. Some Bible words do that. They tend to frighten people. Uh, the moment we hear some of these words, all kinds of thoughts flood our minds. And when you hear the word predestination, it oftentimes conjures up uh, a fear for some and a comfort for others. Depending upon your background, that word can really be very, very assuring, very comforting. It could also be very frightening to some. Predestination. Some people are nervous with this word predestination because right smack in the middle of the word is the word destiny. Destiny. And that sounds so fatalistic, so threatening to our freedom that there's a destiny. Could we break out of this destiny? Or are we predestined to the point that, uh, uh, that anything that happens is, is destined and we have no freedom in the matter? Now, we want to try to understand the concept of predestination because it's really related to the death of our Lord. And uh, it'll give you a greater appreciation for the death of Christ and the implications in your life. So I want to ask a number of questions as we go through this. And the first question that we want to ask is, what does predestination mean? What does that word, what does that concept uh, mean? What's the definition of it? Now, the Greek word that's translated predestination 
is not difficult to understand at all. It is the word prohorizo, which probably means nothing to you, but I'm going to break it down so that it will mean something to you. That word prohorizo is made up of two Greek words, just like we often combine words. So the Greek language combined words. And uh, oftentimes you can find the meanings to these words by just breaking up the word. Not always, but oftentimes you can. It's made up of two words. Number one is pro, which means beforehand or before or in, in front, pro. The other word is horizo, and the reason I say that it sounds very close to our word horizon. It's even spelled that way if you were to spell it out in its English equivalent, horizo. And that word means to determine or to mark out or to set boundaries beforehand and to mark out, pro horizo. So the meaning of predestination is to determine beforehand, to mark out beforehand, determine or mark out beforehand. In other words, God plans our destination beforehand. That's the basic meaning, just like it sounds, just like the English word sounds, predestinated or predetermined. God plans our destination beforehand. So it simply means that God has an eternal plan for his children. That's really all that the word means. I shouldn't say all. That's the basic meaning. God has a destiny for all of his children. And the question is, the more important question is, what is that destiny? We have been marked out. We have been predestined for what, though? Predestination, just that word itself, doesn't tell you what we've been marked out for. You have to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, to find out what you have been destined for. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, watch this, to be conformed to the image of his Son. What this is saying, and we won't read the rest right now, we'll look at it a little bit later, is that those who God chose or foreknew which means to set his intimate love upon. It does not mean that he just knew ahead of time. It does not mean that. Those God chose or foreknew, he also predestined or predetermined that they would be conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. The destination is the image of Christ. In other words, God's predetermined plan before the foundation of the world was to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a heavy thought. That's a very sobering thought. God plans and predetermines that those he chose and those who would come to him would ultimately be precisely like his son in terms of, of character and holiness, would be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, that's what predestination means. And it really, it really should relieve our fears, if you have any fears and nervousness about this doctrine. Let me explain for a few reasons why it should relieve your fears. Number one, we find from this verse, and you'll find from other verses, that predestination refers only to those who know Christ, only to the saved, not to the lost, not to the unsaved. The Bible does not teach that God predestines anyone to hell or to be lost. I know there are theologians who believe that, but I can find no place in Scripture that actually that is taught. Predestination is only for the believer. To say anything other than that goes beyond that. Let me just show you a, a passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 is referring in context to when the Lord returns the judgment of believers and unbelievers. 
the judgment, it's often called the judgment of the Gentile nations, based on whether during the tribulation these people within the nations had faith in the Lord and demonstrated that by treating Jewish people properly, or whether they did not have faith in the Lord and also demonstrated that by their lack of concern for, uh, for Israel. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, meaning his right hand, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, watch this, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God said he has prepared the kingdom for who? For those who are believers. It's been prepared for them. But watch this. Verse 41 is in contrast to those who are on his right hand. He will say to those who are on his left, also meaning those who are not believers, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, watch this, which has been prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Does it say it's been prepared for the unsaved? It really wasn't. No one was predestined for hell. And I don't understand how we can totally reconcile all these things when you're dealing with with a mystery like this, but at least we read here that hell was never intended initially for people. It was intended for the devil and his angels. So predestination just means that, that those whom God has chosen for salvation are all someday going to be like Jesus Christ. It's not talking about the unsaved. Let me put it this way. Predestination is a word of assurance for believers. It is not a word of condemnation for unbelievers. It has absolutely nothing to do with unbelievers. It is a doctrine for us. Secondly, we also learn in order to encourage us and relieve our fears is that predestination is an act of God's love. Often it's not taught that way. Often it's taught in a very cold, kind of lifeless, clinical way. But it's not that at all. And the reason I say that is, is Ephesians. You'll turn, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then it says, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Notice, it's in love. It's in love. Someone said this, we must never think of predestination as some cold program that God worked out in the distant glories of eternity. You see, predestination comes from the love of God. It is a doctrine of love. It is a doctrine of your security. If God did not predestine believers to be ultimately like Jesus Christ, uh, then we'd have a hard time making it, wouldn't we? It's all tied in with security. Predestination is the loving plan that comes from a loving Father. It's a wonderful truth. A comforting truth. So what is the meaning of predestination? It's to be marked out beforehand that God has predetermined that those he has chosen and those who come to him, because those who come to him are those he's chosen, will ultimately be like Jesus Christ. And what is the purpose of predestination? That's the second question we want to ask. What is the actual purpose? Let's look at Romans chapter 8 again. Let's read on verse 29 because we want to find out what is the real purpose for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed, to become conformed, I say again, to the image of his son. Why? And, and now he takes us a step further to tell us the ultimate purpose, not just that he might conform us to the image of Christ. That's, that's really, it's a twofold purpose. But the ultimate purpose is that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. First of all, we, we find that God's predetermined plan before you were born, before the foundation of the world, was to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaks of security. How can we lose our salvation if the very predetermined plan for our lives is to make us like Christ? 
And the question is, but can God's plan fail? Absolutely no. No, it cannot fail. Philippians 1.6, that Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will what? Perfect it, accomplish it, complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You will ultimately be like Jesus Christ. Notice verse 28. This is great. We, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How do we know that God causes all things to work together for good? What good could it possibly, could possibly happen when there's tragedy in the family? What he is saying here is that not all things are good, but everything that happens to a Christian happens for the purpose of making him more like Jesus Christ. Everything that happens in your life the positive things and the negative things are all designed by a sovereign God to conform you right now to the image of Christ, at least move us in that direction. The term conform means inward likeness, not outward, not outward. You won't look like Jesus outwardly. It'll be inward. Someday we're going to be just like Christ in terms of character, in terms of holiness. It's our destiny to be conformed to the image of his son. First John chapter 3 says that everyone who has this hope in him and his return, purifies himself. It's an ongoing purification until the day that we are totally pure and you struggle no more with, with sin. Why would God do this for us, though? Why would he take you and I, broken pieces of clay, one born in the image of Adam, fallen mankind, to conform us to the image of Christ in glory? If, you, if we had been following through the book of Romans, that's what we would have seen. Paul tells us in chapter 1 that we are rebellious, we are haters, we have gone our own way, we're not interested in glorifying God. Then he tells us that, that God in his mercy sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Then he tells us how secure we are in Christ. And now he has brought us to a point where not only are we secure, but, but someday we who groan now, he tells us, that groaning will cease and we'll be just like Jesus Christ, conformed to his image. Why would God do that for a bunch of rebels from Adam's race? The ultimate purpose for your salvation and mine is not to make us happy, not even to forgive our sins. Thank God that, that that's a part of it, to forgive our sins. It's, but it, it's not to relieve our anxiety, not even to deliver us from hell, although that's a part of it. Ultimately, the primary purpose, the ultimate purpose that you and I have been saved and predestined is found in verse 29, the end of it, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And what does that mean? The firstborn comes out of the Jewish culture. In the Jewish family, the firstborn held a special position of prominence. Firstborn son, he's referring to a special position of prominence. The firstborn was the preeminent one in the family. He received a double portion of the father's estate. When the father died and there was an inheritance to be divided, the firstborn son received more than anybody else. More than anybody else. He received a double portion. He also had the authority over the family in place of the father. He was the preeminent one in the family because he uniquely represented the dignity of the family in carrying on the family name. So he is the preeminent one. Paul says that Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brethren. He means that Christ is the honored one. He's the preeminent one. He's the esteemed one amongst many brethren. That's God's ultimate plan. So what is the meaning of predestination to be marked out beforehand to be conformed to the image of Christ? What's the purpose of it? That he might have a glorified humanity who Jesus Christ would be supreme over all of them, that he would receive the praise. Third question is, how does predestination work? 
Notice again Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We know that. And whom he predestined, he also called. These he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, according to these verses, predestination has a sequence. There are a number of steps in the process. It begins in the mind and heart of God as he chooses us to be saved. This is summed up in the word foreknowledge. Foreknowledge, as I said beforehand, does not mean just to know beforehand. Because, in fact, uh, we won't take the time to look this up, but Acts chapter 2, verse 23, says that the death of Christ was based on God's foreknowledge. Do you think that, that the father just looked down one day and said, Oh, my son's going to the cross. Or God just is saying, I knew ahead of time that this would happen and I'm going to react accordingly? No, to believe that actually is heresy. That God just knew ahead of time that Christ was going to do this, but he didn't plan it. It says that that is based on the foreknowledge of God. It does not mean knowledge afore or ahead of time. It really means foreordain is a better way of putting it, that God... Uh, foreordain that the Lord Jesus Christ would die in our place. That's what it means. So when you go back here, it cannot mean that God just looked ahead and he knew that some people would, would come to know him. Actually, look at, um, look at verse 29 again. It does not say, uh, well, it does say, let me put it this way, for whom he foreknew, not what he foreknew, but whom he foreknew. In other words, it's not that he just knew ahead of time something would happen. It's these people he foreknew. So it means more than just to, to have knowledge of something ahead of time, to set his love and foreordaining power upon them. So after God chose us, the second step is he predestined us to be like Christ. Now, this took place long before we, we were, were born and took place in eternity past. But... Nothing took place in our lives until the next step. Notice, whom he predestined, these he also called. He called. That's where you and I came into the picture. In time and in history, God broke in on our rebellion. He called us. The, the concept here is not just, hey, come to salvation. It is a calling that can't be resisted. It is that effectual call of when you responded to the gospel. Now, I can't reconcile in my own mind, and I don't know anybody who can, that man has a responsibility and he has to make a decision, and yet God so works in his life that he doesn't violate his, his choices and he doesn't violate his, his will in that sense, and he doesn't violate human responsibility, and yet God sovereignly calls us to the point that we could not resist. And so he calls us. This is the moving of God's Spirit in your life. It results in trusting Christ. It's where we fit in with witnessing. It doesn't mean that God calls us apart from the human instruments of, of witnessing. But after choosing, pre, predestining, uh, and calling, then the Scripture says He justifies us. These He also justified. He justifies us. What does that mean? And we've gone over this. To declare righteous. We who put our trust in Christ, God says you're declared righteous. You are righteous. Not just forgiven, you are declared righteous. Not just innocent, you are declared righteous. Now, this is where we are right now, if you know Christ. You're declared righteous before a holy God. But the final step, notice in verse 30, is, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Glorified. Have you ever wondered why this is in the past tense? You and I are not glorified. 
If you think you and I are glorified, we've got big problems. Glorification. Glorification means to be like Jesus Christ, to be in glory, to be in heaven, and to be like him. Glorification is in the past tense because it is so certain that God speaks of it as as if it already happened. Your security, this whole chapter 8 is about security. You are as good as glorified because God said it. See, predestination never fails. His plan never fails. And it must happen because you were predestined for this. So what is the meaning of predestination? To be marked out beforehand. What is its purpose? To be conformed to the image of Christ so that ultimately there would be a host of redeemed humanity to give Jesus Christ the praise as the supreme one amongst us. How does it work? The whole process of verse 30 and 29. And what does predestination teach us? How does it apply to us? Well, let me just give you some points of application. Number one, it means that your salvation is not some minor incident in God's vast eternal plan, that somehow you came along and you're just a little nothing in it. I know we feel like that at times. And in a sense, that's, that's true. We are little nothings. But in another sense, we're part of God's eternal plan. You're not a minor incident. You're not just a speck, like a star in the sky. We're part of God's eternal plan. Your salvation didn't just happen. It was planned by God, along with everyone else's. You know, that great, that great song, I was in his mind the day he died for me. It's true. You were in his mind long before Jesus died for you, though. You're part of God's vast eternal plan. That, that gives quite a significance to your salvation, quite a significance to you. Secondly, nothing can take your salvation away. Verse 31 of Romans 8 says this. After he's just gone on record as saying these things, he says, what then shall we say to these things? To what things? To all the things that we just spoke about. Justification and foreknowledge and choosing and predestination and and glorification. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Nothing can take away your salvation. God is bigger than your trials. His plan will not fail. You will struggle along. You will wake up some days and wonder how a believer could ever uh, think the way you think. You, you will wonder about certain things, but you'll wonder why you have to go through certain trials, but um, nothing can take away that salvation. That is so secure. In fact, God is going to use your trials to fit his plan, Romans 8.28. Thirdly, God is big. God is sovereign, and he'll work out his plan. It's not ours to be concerned over. There's a lot of people get concerned about predestination, election. It's not ours to be concerned over. He's a big God. He can take care of it. We're called to cooperate with him. Say, how could we cooperate in this vast eternal plan? Would you turn, please, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Now, you can't choose anybody. You're not a part of that. But you are a part of the process of God calling people. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you, how? Through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. But how did that gospel come to them? Paul shared it. Paul witnessed. 
Paul is saying you've been chosen and God has been separating you by the Spirit and, and now you have faith in the truth. But yeah, how did this all happen? He called you through our gospel, the gospel that we proclaim to you. We cooperate in this predestination process and plan of God by witnessing, by sharing the gospel of Christ. A critical person once approached Charles Spurgeon and said, Mr. Spurgeon, you are preaching the gospel to people who have not been predestined to be saved. Actually, he used the word predestined improperly, but that's the way it came to him. Spurgeon replied calmly, you're probably right. Please just paint a yellow cross on the back of everyone who is predestined to be saved, and I shall preach only to them. You see the ridiculousness of that? No, we don't know who's chosen. We don't know who's predestined. We don't. You just witness and obey the Lord. In fact, I think it was Spurgeon who said this, Lord, save all the elect and then elect some more. That's a good attitude. And so predestination is a marvelous doctrine. It's a doctrine of great assurance. And uh, it, it ought to evoke praise from you for a God who would do that. Why? It's all of grace. So that's what the mysterious word predestination means. It is God's preordained plan that those who put their trust in Jesus Christ will become like him and so are fitted to spend eternity with him. He does this not because we are worthy, but out of his infinite love and grace. The radio program, Verse by Verse, is made up of lessons extracted from messages given by Pastor Steve Kreloff at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Learn more about us and listen again to any of the lessons at our website, versebyverseradio.org. The next time, Pastor Steve will continue the series of Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.